Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Tomsa from Latrobe University. In today's podcast, we continue our pre-election coverage with an episode about public opinion polling in the run-up to the election. Indonesia has an extremely lively polling industry, which provides voters with a constant stream of survey results about candidates, parties and campaign issues. And as we're approaching the election, a total of 33 organizations recently registered with the General Election Commission in order to be accredited as an official quick count provider on election day. While competition in the industry has its positives, for voters the sheer multitude of pollsters can also be puzzling, especially when survey results between individual pollsters differ substantially. In today's podcast, I will discuss some of the problems associated with a heavily fragmented polling industry with Dr. Jayari Hanan, a lecturer in political science at Paramadina University in Jakarta and executive director of Saifu Mujani Research and Consulting, SMRC, one of Indonesia's leading political research and polling institutes. And in the end, we should have plenty of time to also hear from Jayadi about the latest survey results from SMRC, which were just published this week. So, Jay, welcome to the program. Thank you. We are quite close to the election. It's less than a month away now. And it seems as if there's new surveys published almost every day. Why there are there so many surveys being published all the time? You have just released a new survey, but there were other organizations that published just a few days ago. Why so many different organizations? Who's commissioning and paying for all these different surveys? I think the reason is obvious. Indonesian elections, in my opinion, is one of the most complex in the world. For instance, in this 2019 national election, we will have the presidential election, we also have the legislative election for Indonesian National Parliament. We will have legislative election for Indonesian National Senate. And we also have uh, legislative elections for provincial and uh, districts or municipality levels. Mm. All in all, these elections are providing the seats that are being competed for more than 20,000 seats all over. Mm. So. Uh, with that in mind, then every candidate, many, many political parties are trying to understand what is the trajectory of their political support. That way, then a lot of pollings are, are, are needed because I think there is no other better way to understand the current situations of the, the race other than uh, doing uh, polling or sur surveys in Indonesia. So I think those are the, the, the reason why there are so many pollings, uh, comparatively speaking, and why there are so many polling uh, pollsters that are conducted, comparatively speaking, again. Hmm. Now, your, your, your other question is, who are commissioning the, and paying these pollings? There are uh, several possibilities. Number one is the candidates or the political parties or the participants of the the elections uh, number two there is a possibility of the pollsters themselves conducted the survey certain survey by using 
their own internal funding. But very small number of pollsters can do this. Number three, the other possibility is that the third part, the person or the party that are outside of the election who are interested in knowing uh, what is the trajectory of the race, what is the current, uh, the, the horse race uh, situation. This could be non-profit organizations or person uh, with non-profit oriented or business people who, who are uh, trying to look at uh, the political risk that they are going to predict because of the possible result of the election. So the combination of those, those three can be uh, possible to, uh, to commission or to fund the, elect- the, the, the polls. Yeah. Okay, so in that sense, then the fragmentation in the polling industry is a reflection of the fragmentation of um, competing interests and competing parties in these processes, right? So there are many parties that have an interest in getting results, and so yeah, yeah, in- including basic, including especially the candidates or the participants of the elections, right? Hmm. Hmm. Because there are so many. For instance, you we for legislative election we uh, the political parties are competing for more than 20000 seats for the parliament at the national level and also at the local levels hmm. and there are 16 political parties yeah. that are competing for that all of these political parties and also the candidates in each of the electoral district also interested so there are so many demands for that polls which creates the possibility of so many pollsters to uh, to come to come up or or to be established or to be involved in this industry yeah in the last round of regional or local elections for governors um, district heads and mayors some of the quick counts and the eventual results differed quite substantially from pre-election surveys. Perhaps you can explain briefly to us why that occurred. Why were, in some of those elections, the results for some candidates quite different from what had been predicted even by the mainstream pollsters who are usually quite reliable? The pre-election survey is conducted to get what is the level of political support for a certain candidate during the time of the survey was conducted. So, for instance, I did a survey in February, let's say February beginning. Then I asked people, uh, if presidential election is conducted today, who are you going to vote for? So the result of the, that survey should be said as if election is conducted during the timing of survey, then this candidate will get this number of support and so on and so forth. So you get uh, the idea, right? Yeah. So the level of support the opinion, the perception is very, very possible to change. What we found in the pre-election could be much different from what we found during the actual result or let's say the, the, the quick count. To what extent it can be very much different depends on several things. Number one, what is the timing of the survey? How far away the survey is conducted from the actual election? The closest we can do face-to-face interview is about 10 days before the election, or mm. let's say seven days before the elections. Mm. Yeah, and you know, during the election campaign, seven days is very important, right? <laughs> yeah. So there is one possibility 
why some areas like in West Java, Jakarta election and Central Java election, there are some occasions where the pre-election survey is very far away from the actual result. In Jakarta, there is another difficulties that is experienced by the pollsters, in my opinion. That is the response rate. Uh-huh. In Jakarta, a big city, the response rate is only around 50%. Wow, okay. While in Indonesia in general, overall, the response rate is always more than 70 or between 70 to 80 percent or more. It increased the error that we have. There mm. is another another possibility. Yeah? Yeah. Of course, the other possibility is ethical, ethical problem, yeah. integrity problem. Yeah? There is also the voters who answer that they have had the choice in the party election. But when we ask them again, how sure you are about your choice. Hmm. Then many of them will say, well, not so sure. I'm actually still make, um, making up my mind, but at the moment, that is my choice. So meaning that there is a kind of swing voters also, and those can also sway or make the big difference between the pre-election survey and the actual result of the election. For instance, in the current national presidential election, in SMRC's result, there is about 10 to 13 percent undecided, but there is about uh, 13 to 15 percent of those who have said they are going to vote for Prabowo or Jokowi, but they said it is still highly possible to change. That means there is about 25 to 30 percent of the voters are still being persuadable yeah. by certain events leading up to the election and so on and so forth. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into some more results from your most recent survey now. You've already said now how many undecided swing voters there are. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was just released this week, right? The most recent yeah, survey. Yeah, last Sunday. But the the survey was conducted on the 24th of February 2019 to 5th of March. Yeah? All right, so... Let us know, according to your data, who's going to win the presidential election. Well, one month before the election, the gap between Jokowi and Prabowo is stagnant or a bit widening. In December, we found Jokowi's support is about 54, Prabowo is about 34, while in January 2019, we found for Jokowi about 55 to 56. Uh, Prabowo a bit lower, around 32, while in the latest survey uh, on February to March, we found Jokowi's number is 57.6, while Prabowo's number is about 31.8. The very wide gap is, I think, quite difficult to be close because the election is only one month away. Yeah. It's quite a different trajectory in terms of support numbers in during the campaign if we compare that to 2014. Uh, mm-hmm. In 2014, Jacoby also started strongly but then sort of squandered his lead relatively yeah. quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why is Prabowo not catching up this time as he did in 2014? In 2014, both candidates are contender, right? Mm. No incumbent. Yeah. So the incumbency effect is not there in 2014. Not only because there is no incumbent, but also because incumbent at the time, Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono, did not take side 
In 2019, Jokowi is an incumbent. Prabowo is a contender. So the incumbency effect is one of the big factor that should be counted to determine the uh, possible result of the elections. And if we look at the incumbency, during the last three years, the approval rating has always been steady for Jokowi at about 65 to 70 percent. A high number for incumbent by Indonesian standard. The other incumbency measure is about Uh, to what extent people believe and trust Jokowi's leadership. That's also stable during the last two years of our tracking surveys at the level of 65 to 67, sometimes 70 percent. So this incumbency is translated into more support for the incumbent. The other factor that is affecting the current election is the general living conditions in the perception of the public. There are the perception of the public about economic situation, about security situation, political stability, uh, law enforcement, and also the performance of the government in many sectors, like in infrastructure project, healthcare, education, maintaining affordable uh, price of the nine basic goods, job creation, poverty, and so on and so forth. In short, all of those we found in the surveys, in general, are positive in the eyes of Indonesian voters. Because of that positive evaluation, then outside of the incumbency, that economic and other general conditions also are in favor of the incumbent. Hmm. As a result, then the support for incumbent is more. On the side of Prabowo, I think there are two weapons, basically, that can be used by Prabowo to close his gap. Number one is the identity issues that were widely used and very effective in 2014. Hmm. But uh, in short, I would say that identity issues now, although it is still there, but the one who believe with that issues are stagnant, less hmm. than 10%. It never spread out more to to increase the ones who believe with that. Hmm. There are some possible answers to why it is not so effective now. Number one is people are using more performance of the incumbent as a, as a determining factor in deciding their vote. That's number one. Number two is spreading out identities, fake news, and so on and so forth currently is not as easy as 2014, despite the fact that we have more internet penetration now. Mm. Why is that? Number one is because both candidates are not different in terms of identity, uh, especially in terms of religion. And also the running mate of Jokowi seems to mitigate a lot of this issue to spread out against the incumbent. Number three is that uh, identity issues, especially through social media, is of course more easily to be spread out. However, we have strict regulation on that right now. So mm-hmm. law enforcement is much stricter now compared to 2014 because we have a law on that issues which we didn't have in 2014. So that identity issues cannot be used widely. The other uh, weapon that can be used to attack Jokowi's incumbency from Prabowo is the economy issue. Mm. However, so far, 
economic issues are not significantly better than what Jokowi has done and what Jokowi is planning to do in the future. As a result, when you have a campaign promise that are not so different from your opponent, right, then the, the voters will be taking side more to the one who has had the proof about what he has done in the past, like uh, the incumbent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the TV debates that we've had so far haven't done anything either to improve Prabowo's chances. Yeah, we ask people, we ask the Indonesian public through our surveys about, according to them, who performed better. Majority said it's Jokowi. Ah, there you go. Yeah. For uh, for their own reasons, yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons may be because the one who watch the debates are mostly the supporters of the candidates, right? Because only <laughs> about 30 to 38 percent of the voters watch the debate. <laughs> so probably most of them are the supporters. So if that's the case, then because Jokowi is now leading, of course the supporters who watch the debate will be more for Jokowi than Prabowo, right? Mm. While at the same time, the so-called undecided and swing voters are still, until today, not make up their mind. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, why don't we switch quickly to the legislative election now? It's it's almost sometimes it feels as if this part of the election is almost forgotten because the media mm -hmm. attention seems focused on the presidential election. It's of course not forgotten for the candidates, as you said. There are thousands of seats uh, that are up for grabs and thousands of candidates. What does your survey say about the parliamentary election? There was a lot of talk about the so-called coattail effect before. Yes that mm -hmm. the two parties most closely affiliated with the presidential candidates would benefit from the fact that the two elections are now for the first time held on the same day. Do, mm -hmm. we, do we see this uh, confirmed in your service? Are PDIP and Gerindra way ahead now or is it still fragmented? If we compare this survey's result with 2009 elections, it seems that it's not so much different in terms of its fragmentation. So the support for political parties are still fragmented. Mm. However, it seems that there is a confirmation that a kind of coattail effect is in effect here, especially for PDIP and Gerindra. We found in our survey, whenever the support for Jokowi is up, then the support for PDIP also going up. The same applies to Green Party. Whenever the support for Prabowo is going up, then for Green also going up and vice versa. Mm. However, for other political parties, their result in the survey seems to be less than what they got in 2014 elections, meaning that Only PDIP and Gerindra seems to get higher number now, mm -hmm. while others are not. So if we relate this to the coattail effect issue, it can be also one justification that coattail effects is only affect uh, PDIP and Gerindra. In 2019 February survey, we found that the level of support for PDIP is around 24-25 which has been steady at that level since May 2018. Mm. The level of support for Gerindra has been exceeding the level of support of Golkar. This is for the first time Gerindra seems to be able to reach a second 
place in hmm. the legislative elections. So those are the the current situations. Other political parties are still fighting for their destiny in the parliament. <laughs> yeah, the threshold, of course, has been lifted a bit. It's now four percent. Yes. Um, so 4% of the vote is needed for a party to obtain a seat in parliament. Mm-hmm. Are any of the parties that are currently represented in the House of Representatives, are any of those parties at risk of failing to clear that threshold? Mm-hmm. And how are the new parties going? There's, there's, uh, yeah. As you said, there's a yeah. few new parties as well. So. Okay. There are several political parties that are considered at the, what is it, secure level or safe level, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning that their uh, polling result is above 4%. Those are PDIP, Gerindra, Golkar, surprisingly PKB, mm-hmm. and then Democratic Party, and then Nasdem. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Nasdem usually got less than 4%, sometimes 2% in the surveys but currently nasdem seems to move up to the level of middle to the middle level mm-hmm. in the survey they got sometime four sometime more than four in the election so those six or seven political parties are considered safe okay uh, one month before the legislative election but three political parties pan pks and ppp are less safe because they got only around between three to four percent. But I am not so doubtful about these three political parties to to pass that parliamentary threshold, yeah? PAN, uh, PKS, and PPP. The reason is because those three political parties are uh, traditionally having their own social base Mm. of the voters or of the electorate. PPP has their own base. PAN also has its own base, especially Muhammadiyah uh, people. And then PKS, of course, has their own base based on the Islamic uh, movement that is related to PKS. Mm -hmm. So it seems that they are also going to still uh, possible to be staying in parliament. The one that is threatened to be out of parliament is Hanura. Yeah. Because its performance has always been very low, at the level of one or two percent in the survey, and also Hanura got still got uh, internal problems, right? Yeah, yeah. The other is I think you also have a question about is the new political parties, right? Yes. PSI, mm-hmm. Perindo, Berkarya, and so on and so forth. I think there is still possibility of them to get past, but they have to fight harder. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we'll have to wait until election day and the quick counts. And um, as we're gradually coming to the end, I want to just ask briefly about the prospects for the quick counts on the actual election day. In 2014, there was much controversy around quick counts when several of the most reputable pollsters had all said that Jacobi had won. But then a group of four other pollsters claimed that Prabovo had won. Are you expecting something similar to happen that any interested party in the election, be that in the presidential election or perhaps in the parliamentary election, will try to manipulate quick counts? I am in doubt of that to happen again. Number one, because the gap between the two candidates are quite wide, right? Mm. Uh, The other uh, thing is that the two camps, I think, are much more 
polarized uh, in 2014 than now, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's much more polarized. So I expect that that will not uh, happen again. Mm-hmm. Okay, so looking beyond the upcoming election now, how do you see the future of the polling industry in Indonesia? Is it likely to remain as fragmented and politicized as it is now? Or do you expect perhaps some greater concentration in the hands of the established pollsters? And mm-hmm. what other challenges do you sort of anticipate to hit Indonesian pollsters in the future? Yeah, my response to that is that we will still have several cycles of local and national elections, at least until 10 years from now. So to, in 2020, we will still have more than 200 Uh, local elections continued in 2022. We will have another round of local elections in 2023, another one in 2024, another national elections. And then in 2027, we will have one cycle only of local elections mm. and then uh, followed by one cycle of national elections of 2009. 29, yeah. uh, 2029. So at least in the next 10 years, the demands for many pollings are still there. Mm. So what I mean, what I have mentioned is based on the current law of elections in Indonesia. Yeah. yeah. If the law is is changing, then uh, of course the the landscape will also be changing. But that is the case at least at the moment. So because of that, then the fragmentation will still be be there. But at least under, uh, starting from 2027, when we have consolidated all of our local elections into one election and then only one national elections, there I think there is a possibility of this polling industry to be consolidated into only several big players. Uh-huh. Because if you are not big players, for instance, in 2027, it will be difficult for you to compete Uh, how could you do, for instance, pollings in more than 500 local elections at the same time? Yeah, it yeah. will be difficult if you are only a small or local-based pollsters. It doesn't mean that you will die, but it can be like, you know, the airline industry, right? Hmm, hmm. In the airline and airline industry, we have the, the Star Alliance <laughs> yeah. and then the Sky <laughs> Team Alliance, only two. Yeah, There is yeah. a possibility of the consolidation of polling polling industry in industry into that, but not as extreme as airline industry. I think yeah. polling industry will still be a lucrative business. It still be an interesting uh, area for academic, especially when developing the voting behavior theories in Indonesia, and so on and so forth. And it is still going to be part of the. Indonesian political process as long as Indonesia is still maintaining its democratic political system. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, so those are uh, my my uh, take on that. But what is the challenge for the polling industry? Number one, I think, is to maintain and increase the integrity of each of the pollsters. Number two is to increase and maintain the methodology. One challenge in the in the future is What is the role of the internet hmm. in polling industry? Uh, we have to develop our methodology to the extent that we can embrace this development of information and technology. Three, number three also, 
how to find a way of making the cost of surveys in Indonesia to be much, much lower than what we have now. If the cost of survey is much lower, then I think the accusation that certain party or certain candidate pay uh, pollsters in order to manipulate the data will not be so much there, right? Yeah. The, the other challenge is how to institutionalize the uh, professional associations of the pollsters, ROP and Persepi. Yeah. They need to be an organizations that can really like an accreditor to the poll to the pollsters and also the one that can be a reference for integrity and also methodology to do that i think these two organizations need to institutionalize increase its capability more and also also to to connect uh, to be part of the global professional association of uh, pollsters with that i think this polling industry can be helpful not only for the candidates in the election but also to the development of indonesian democracy in general hmm. that's good final words <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> all right excellent yeah thank you very much for these insights jay mm-hmm. so that was jayadi hanan from paramadina university and saifa mujani research and consulting speaking with dirk tomsa on the talking indonesia podcast The next podcast is only a week away, of course, and it's going to be a special one, our 100th episode. Please join us again when this one is released on the 28th of March 2019. And of course, don't forget that you can find the entire archive of the Talking Indonesia podcast at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. And alternatively, you can subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thanks for listening and until next time.